With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. For the first time in 2022, I am joined today by the usual suspects. First, in Northern Virginia, right on the on the route that I-95 got completely stopped. He has power. He has internet. He's eating a panini from the Italian place down the street. The one and only Mike McDaniel joining us. How are you, man? What's going on? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too, brother. And in the 757, he has recovered from the plague and he's back and better than ever. Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, Happy New Year, brother boy. Thank you. Happy New Year to you both. Uh, very, very glad to be back. Very glad to uh, no longer be stuck in my house, uh, which I was for approximately a week. Yep. Everyone's got the run of these days. It's a tough scene, but... You know, working from home, some people getting paid to do virtually nothing. And if you're in that position, good for you, I guess, if the symptoms aren't too bad. If you're in a position where you actually need to go to work to make money, that is very unfortunate. And the conversation for another day, but the conversations that we came here to have are ones regarding Virginia Tech athletics, as we always have. And 2022 on the hardwood, not off to a hot start. Virginia Tech 0-2 in the new year dropping to 0-4 in the ACC. First, it was losing at home to an NC State team that had just lost five in a row, including a loss to Wright State. Bonus points for anyone who can tell me where Wright State is actually located. And they followed that up in a, what felt like, and effectively was, a must-win game for Virginia Tech on the road at JPJ against the worst UVA team in years, the story stayed the same. When they needed a bucket down the stretch, it was nowhere to be found. Tech loses, drops to 0-4 in a rather weak 2022 ACC. Mike McDaniel was, as always, stirring the pot on Twitter, coming at people this morning who were talking badly about Mike Young, maybe calling for his job, calling for his head. But I do think that we are at the point in the season where this team does warrant some criticism, Ricky LeBlue, I'm sure you agree with me. Oh, yeah. Um, the team has been an utter disappointment for the, basically the almost the entirety of the season. They, the guy that was supposed to come in and really transform this offense, Storm Murphy, has not done that in any way, shape, or form. And for all of the flack that Wabisabidi got for his Virginia Tech career, the Hokies would be much better off with Obisabidi on the floor than Storm Murphy on the floor. Um, I, I don't think that that's controversial, uh, to be quite honest. But look, um, 
this team does not have the perimeter talent to win very many games. KV Aluma has played pretty well all year and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, I was, I was pretty critical of Aluma towards the end of last season because I felt like he was really starting to, to, um, to struggle when it really, when it really mattered. And he looked like he was, uh, you know, kind of being uh, pushed around a little bit down low at the end of last season. He's played pretty well all year, but he has not had much help. Uh, Naheem Aline has been pretty dreadful from the field so far. Storm Murphy, like I said, has not added the offensive firepower that he needed to add. Um, Hunter Couture is limited. You know, he he's he's not a bad guy to have on your roster, but he he just is a limited player. Darius Maddox, for some reason, just does not get a lot of not get a lot of run on this team, and I haven't really figured that out yet. Um, so yeah, this team just isn't very good. Obviously, um, they haven't won a game in the conference yet, and I'm not sure um, when they're going to win one. Um, uh, they've got Notre Dame again this weekend, which who knows? They get NC State. They just lost to them not too long ago. So it may be a bit before they win one. So I, I don't know. The, 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 this team has been um, very, very disappointing, especially in conference play. Uh, like you said, Andrew, this Virginia team is pretty bad, relatively speaking. And Virginia Tech could not go in there and win. Uh, so Mike Young's got to figure some things out. I mean, I'm not going to I'm not going to jump to you know, the extremes of some of the people that Mike was referencing to on Twitter yesterday, because I don't think that's warranted, but absolutely it's warranted to call out the lack of perimeter talent on this roster. Um, and that falls squarely on Mike Young's shoulders. Mike McDaniel, do you have a rebuttal? I mean, I don't think Ricky is necessarily calling for Mike Young's head as much as I'm trying to push him in that direction just for content purposes. <laughs> but some people are, and you were very staunch in his defense. Explain that defense that you were putting out online this morning at a little bit more length here. And where do you feel the state of affairs are for this program? I'm staunch in the defense of these idiots on the message boards calling for him to be fired. Like Virginia tech didn't have James Johnson as the head coach six years ago. Like, come on guys. Hey, James Johnson. Nice guy. Nice guy. He was a nice guy. He was a very nice guy. He couldn't, <laughs> he, he could not, he could not be a functional head coach in the ACC. That was really apparent. Right. And that those, those are the people I'm aiming the, the bow at so to speak like i i don't have a problem with criticizing this team and a lot of ricky's points are true like let's start with storm murphy so i tried to tell people and i'm kind of i'm i'm pissed off about this so allow me to rant for a moment you guys agreed with me so this isn't at you i tried to tell people that wabisabidi was a really important player to this team last year i was really consistent with that and people got real testy in the mentions on our social media account and directly in my mentions about my defense of Wabisabidi. People I thought right. he was kind of like a, a clown. Almost. I was right. I, correct. I was right. So I'm going to, I'm pissed about it. I'm going to stick with this here. Listen, Wabisabidi did not provide the offensive firepower from the standpoint of scoring points, right? He led the team in assists. He was a facilitator of the offense. 
and he was far better at running the offense than what we've seen out of Storm Murphy so far. What I've seen out of Storm Murphy is that his game does not translate to the high major level of college basketball. He was a really good player at Wofford in the Southern Conference, no question about it, very good player. And he has shown glimpses of that with this team. But he cannot be a consistent high major player in the ACC. He hasn't shown it through 14 games, right? So I think we're at the point now, we're about halfway through the year, and you kind of are what you are at this point from an individual player standpoint. And Storm Murphy just isn't performing to the level that a lot of people expected. I expected him to be much better. I thought he would come in and play well and, and be the offensive force because of his, how his game was at, in the SOCON, right? He was a three-point shooter. He was a good penetrator. I expected him to struggle a bit defensively because it is a different caliber of athlete in the ACC, but I thought offensively he would be able to provide more of a punch than he has, right? In the early part of the year, it was he's afraid to shoot, right? It was like, I'm afraid to get my shot blocked, right? So he's passing up on open looks from three. I was at the Navy game, and I was at the Maryland game earlier this year, and he passed up open look after open look in both of those games. And then he came out against St. Bonaventure, and he was like, I'm just going to sh- freewheel it and shoot. Tech was coming off of like a – they had about a week off. He came out against St. Bonaventure and started shooting the lights out. I'm like, okay, now he's shooting the ball, which is what everybody was screaming for, because there's no question Storm Murphy can shoot. We all know he can shoot, right? So it was like, put your shot up, right? So what we've seen out of him is inconsistent offensive play, right? I don't know if it's him lacking confidence. I don't know if it's that he can't hang. I'm starting to think he can't hang in the ACC, right? So that's problematic. And that's where Wabisabidi would have really helped this team. Because while he wasn't the scorer that we all thought Storm Murphy would be, and Storm Murphy's been a, a more proficient scorer, even playing poorly. He's been a more proficient scorer than Wabisabidi was last year. But he's not running the offense or facilitating the offense in a way outside of scoring that I think we all thought he would. And Wabisabidi was able to do that. He didn't score, but he did everything else. And that's what Virginia Tech really misses out of this team. We can talk about Tyrese Radford. That's a significant loss. You, you don't have a guy who's able to slash the bucket. Um, there are two guys on the team who can do that, which leads me in my next point, right, about, about Tyrese Radford's departure. There are two guys right now on the roster who are able to slash to the bucket with consistency. One of them is Naheem Aline, and he refuses to do it. He settles for mid- contested mid-range jumpers. Part of the reason why he's not shooting the ball well, yes, he's missing some open shots, but he's taking too many contested mid-range jump shots right now. That's his main problem. If he stopped doing that, he'd probably be shooting it a whole hell of a lot better. But there's only two guys on the team who can create their own shot. One's Naheem Aline, and he's not making any of them. And the other one's Darius Maddox. And the reason why he's not playing, to answer Ricky's question earlier, is because he's a liability defensively. Now, how do you fix that, right? How do you fix that? This is what you do. You take Naheem Aline's minutes, and you reduce them a little bit. Virginia Tech doesn't have the luxury to outright bench Naheem Aline. They can't do it. He's one of the best defenders, at least in the backcourt, on the roster. And offensively, when he's right, he's going. Problem is, he hasn't scored at all. I, I feel like we haven't seen him make a basket. I, I know he's like two of Two or going into last night, it was like two of 27 in ACC play shooting the ball. That's unsustainably bad, right? He's, he's in a cold streak, but he's also taken too many contested jump shots. Darius Max is the only other guy on the roster who can create his own shot. The reason why he's not playing is Mike Young doesn't trust him defensively, right? So Virginia Tech's got a problem because Storm Murphy can't run the offense consistently enough. 
Sean Padula doesn't have the trust of Young yet in a sizable role. Maybe we should see more of him. I don't know. The, the answer to this conundrum Virginia Tech's in is that they have seven or eight guys in the rotation right now. David Gusan is not playing a ton, but he's kind of the eighth guy. They have seven or eight guys in the rotation right now, and your starters aren't playing great. Aluma's been good. Mutz has struggled offensively. He was very good defensively last night, um, a step in the right direction. because He's been kind of up and down defensively as well. He's been kind of disappointing all year, but he was much better last night against UVA defensively. Hunter Couture has been the most consistent player on the, on the, on the team, on both ends of the floor, offensively and defensively. Um, he's been the guy who has been able to stop the run. The problem is he can't consistently create his own shot. He tries, but he can't always do it. He's a spot-up jump shooter. He's very athletic defensively. And he's a good player. I, I don't want to get – he's a very good player. And, and he's, he's useful. It's the reason he's why the he's best like, player in their backcourt, without question. Without question. <clears throat> without question, the best player in the, in, in the backcourt or on the wing, whatever. He, he's, the, he's the best guard they have right now. Um, and he's been consistent offensively and defensively all year. He's been Virginia Tech's best player, in my opinion, on both ends of the floor. Aluma's been the best player offensively, period. Uh, but the, the easy answer is Naheem Ali needs to shoot the ball better. And I'm not talking about what he did against Florida in the NCAA tournament. I'm not asking him to fill it up and, and score 35 a night. I'm asking him to be replacement level. Because right now he's not a replacement level shooter in the ACC. He's been really, really poor. The easy Matter answer- of fact, there's, there aren't really any replacement level shooters on the team right now in ACC play. Like if you uh, look at the well, field goal percentages for the roster – the entire roster is struggling outside of Mutz and Aluma. Yeah, I mean, Couture, Couture had a, uh, a cold game against NC State, and then... Couture shooting 37% from the field. Padula is 20%. Naheem Aline is 18%. And Gesson is 12%. Yeah. I, the, another issue, too, and, you know, we can talk about Aluma and Mutz, the, the issue is they got to play a lot more minutes. Than I think Mike Young was hoping this year, right? And I don't know if it's because the, the biggest disappointment in the front court has been David Gusan because he hasn't. I think the expectation was, especially after the opener and how much praise he garnered from the staff in the offseason, he's been largely absent since that opener when he went seven to seven from the floor. He has not been the guy in the front court that I think a lot of people were hoping he would be, like taking that step forward. Uh, so, so you you're lacking depth all over the roster at this point, And you're, you know, a few of your starters aren't playing particularly well. So that all equates to Virginia tech in a down ACC playing in a lot of tough games that on paper going into the year, we didn't think they would be playing tough in, right? The NC state game, <clears throat> the NC state game, I'm willing to throw away because they were on a COVID pause for two weeks. Um, you know, they didn't have guys that, you know, guys weren't practicing that sort of thing. We, we know what this, what COVID did to the team last year. So I'm, I'm willing to give them a pass, a little bit of a pass on NC state last night against UVA was inexcusable offensively. I understand UVA is a good defensive team, but the, the same issues came to the surface last night. that have been present all year. Right. And that's, they don't have guys that consistently create their own shot. So where do we stand with this team, though? I mean, obviously, the conversations that we were having going into the year, gentlemen, were, were is this team a potential five seed or are they, uh, you know, eight, nine, ten seed? And here we are, January 13th or whatever it is, and we're on the outside looking in. Can this team still make the tournament or is the best we can hope for like an NIT home game at this point? 
I would be absolutely shocked if this team makes the tournament. I'd be pretty I would surprised. Be, yeah, I'd be I would surprised. be floored. Um, I mean, sure, they could, you know, maybe garner an NIT bid, but they got to win a damn ACC game first. Yeah. They haven't even won a conference game. They're 0-4. So who, who gives a shit about the NCAA tournament right now? Win a damn game in the conference. The, the, the ACC sucks this year. It does. And and we suck along with it. So let's let's try and win a game in the ACC first because um, th- th- this team is not deserving of a postseason tournament right now. They're, 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 <clears throat> there are three fifth-year seniors in the starting. <clears throat> which, is, which just blows my damn mind that they've got right. that much experience in the rotation. I almost and they're there. this bad. I almost died there. Sorry. There, but th- <laughs> thank you for picking me up there. There, so there are three fifth-year seniors in the in the rotation. They're playing significant minutes. Three of them are starters, right? And Storm Murphy, Justin Mutz, and Kevin Aluma. Two of those guys were all conference players. One of them was in the SoCon. The other one was in the ACC. And Kevin Aluma. Um, you would think with three fifth-year seniors on the roster, they would be a little bit better than zero and four in the ACC, right? And I think a lot of people thought that this team would be a lot more competitive period flat out than they have been not, not just ACC play, but flat out. Uh, I think a lot of people were anticipating and, and there's no question Virginia tech's best game they played this year was against St. Bonaventure. St. Bonaventure is a likely tournament team. Virginia tech beat him by 38 points. I think a lot of people expected Virginia tech to be that kind of team. Maybe not like blowing teams out by 40, but beating good teams by a couple touchdowns, right? right? Not winning by 40. Um, but St. Bonaventure is a tournament team and tech beat the brakes off them. And this is one of those situations now where looking back on it, it's like, that seems like more of the aberration because like, I mean, I mean, looking at the St. Bonaventure game and the Maryland game for that matter too, or to Virginia Tech's two quality wins on the season, right? Anyone could have beaten either of those two teams the way that the, our opponents played that day. And you can credit some of that to Virginia Tech's defense, but St. Bonaventure couldn't hit, a, you know, throw a rock in the ocean if they were standing on the beach. And Maryland was nearly as bad. And Maryland's not a good basketball team. Right. I, and I, I totally agree with that. And, you know, defensively, like, you know, you want to talk about why Naheem Aline needs to play like the St. Bonaventure game is the perfect example, not because of what he did on offense, but what he did shutting down St. Bon helping shut down St. Bonaventure's backcourt. Right. I thought storm Murphy, Naheem Aline and Hunter Couture were instrumental in Virginia tech winning that game by 38 points. Their defense was unreal in that game and St. Bonaventure missed some open shots too. And that's why the margin was 38, not like 15 to 20. Uh, But that's looking more and more like the aberration because Virginia tech has been unable offensively to shoot the ball in a manner that Mike Young coach teams have historically shot it, right? In the SoCon, in this first couple of years in the ACC, it's just been a struggle outside of Hunter Couture and Keve Aluma. This offense isn't really doing anything with any sort of consistency right now. I think the, I think one stat that kind of encapsulates Virginia Tech's issues right now on the offensive end um uva attempted 16 free throws last night virginia tech attempted three there's there's no physicality there's no ability to score at the rim there's no ability to draw contact at the rim and get to the line and 
it's pretty hard to win a game when you're only getting three free throw attempts. So Mike Young has got to figure some things out. This is his, this is his roster. Um, a lot of the guys he's brought in have not developed to the way we thought they would. And he's got to own that and he's got to solve it. I saw a comparison made on Twitter of Mike Young and Justin Fuente. (laughs) One guy won 300 games. (laughs) Well, and I mean, also, also Justin Fuente did almost win the entire ACC his first year. Right. Uh, Also football and basketball are just two entirely different animals in how you, in how you build a roster and how you build a program. Um. But I mean, no, it's it's fair to criticize Mike Young's performance, considering again I mentioned this. Um, a lot of the guys he's brought in have not developed, and he's in what? What I mean, he at this point he's got a roster full of his players, and they're not performing, so he's got to own that. Yeah, I agree. I think what's even more frustrating is like the the guys who are supposed to be driving the ship this year are all fifth year seniors. Like I can't get around I can't get around that. Like people ask what's going on with the basketball team. I'm like they have three fifth year seniors and only one of them's playing well. And then, you know, when you're talking about the rest of the backcourt, one of the other starting guards is shooting 18% in ACC play. Like that's that's the problem, and and the guys coming off the bench are either too young, too raw, or can't play defense. So I, it's it's an issue. It's it's basically the worst possible outcome for this roster is for them to go completely stale offensively. Because what ends up happening now is you have to rely on a bunch of young guys to take a step up a lot faster than anticipated. Um, specifically with like Sean Padula. Uh, David Gusan and Darius Maddox on both ends of the floor. Darius Maddox, ideally, Mike Young wanted to bring him off the bench to play like 12 to 14 minutes a night and be the spark plug offensively. The issue is if you put him in the starting lineup, you lose a little bit defensively. Then you have no offensive punch off the bench. You're going to bring Nahim off the bench? He's not shooting right now. I, I think that the easy answer is that Nahim starts playing a little better um, and, and Storm Murphy starts playing a little better. But outside of that, like, I don't know, I don't know what the answer is. You, you can try to shake up the starting lineup a little bit, but I think what makes more sense is to shake the minutes distribution up a little bit. Like, I, I think Darius Max should be playing more. I think Sean Padula should be playing more, especially when Storm Murphy and Naheem Aline are struggling. Like, trust your young guys a little bit more. You don't have anything to lose right now. And you don't. And, and you know what, too? Like, start coaching with an eye towards next year. And I know Mike Young doesn't want to do that. It's a really hard thing to, to think about because he owes it to the seniors in that room to try to coach this year to the best of his ability. But you know what? I think he could indirectly affect this year's team by giving some more minutes to the young guys. See what Darius Max can do in extended minutes. See what Sean Padula can do in extended minutes. We know that Padula is a playmaker. We know Darius Max can create his own shot. So use them a little bit more. Use Naheem Aline and Storm Murphy when they're struggling shooting. Use them a little bit less. Also, don't be afraid to spell the guys in the front court. Don't be afraid. I know that Aluma is your best player, but but give give some of the bigs a chance to just give you a couple minutes here and there, so that way Aluma and Mutz aren't playing thirty five plus minutes a night. Yep, yep, hundred percent. So I don't know. I, I 
it's okay no to play answers. nine or ten guys, especially when you're not very good. There are no because what do you have to lose? Right, and there are no easy answers right now. So just shake it up a little bit. I'm not saying that to totally bench. You can't totally bench any of these guys because you have a short rotation. Just shake up the minutes a little bit. Just try some new things because right now, offensively, it's not working. And the the defense overall has been fine. Offensively, it's been a real struggle though, and they got to figure that out quick. Last one on basketball. I mean, with Notre Dame coming up on Saturday, do we have a confidence interval that they can win? Mike, I know that you follow the Notre Dame athletic department pretty closely. What does that look like? I mean, we need a win. We need one bad. You have a a non-dominant team in Castle Coliseum. Can they put one in the win column? Notre Dame's looked real good lately. Um They've won, I want to say, seven straight, six or seven in a row now. Um, they beat the brakes off Clemson last night. I think they beat Clemson by about 20 points. They're playing some really good basketball right now. They they, dry, they were up and down in the early part of the year. They lost to uh, St. Mary's, which, you know, always plays Gonzaga semi-tough. <laughs> lost to St. Mary's, lost a game to Indiana. But Notre Dame also beat Kentucky. You know, they beat North Carolina. They beat Georgia Tech. Um, they're beating teams in the ACC that I don't think we can with any confidence say that Virginia Tech would beat right now. And Notre Dame's always going to be well coached under Mike Bray. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a winnable game, but they're hot right now. And it's kind of, it's desperation time because I mean, it's easy to take a look at the schedule from like a 30,000 foot view and be like, yeah, it's not that bad, but it's not that bad. If you're looking at it through the lens of Virginia Tech being like a top five ACC team, which is the lens we were looking at, you know, prior to the season starting with this iteration of the team, no game is winnable right now. Notre Dame has four conference wins. Virginia Tech has zero. I doubt that Virginia Tech is going to get their first one against Notre Dame. All right. Well, on to the hope front. A lot of things have happened in the world of Virginia Tech football since we last talked, gentlemen. Uh, one of them being the pinstripe bowl, where the highlight of the game was the pregame, <laughs> but a staff really starting to come together. It's so broad based right now that I have a tough time coming up with a specific question. So, to both of you, what are your general thoughts? The staff on field is complete. Is it satisfactory? I'm going to defer to Mr. McDaniel for this question to start. It means Ricky's cooking something. Let's defer into the second half. Uh, <laughs> I think it's – my my impression of the staff is that it has been constructed with one goal in mind, and that is to recruit the hell out of the thing, <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's how this is constructed. Um, I, I really like the Joe Rudolph hire. Uh, that is a hire that Justin Fuente could not have pulled off. Uh, that is big time. That's, uh, that is a proven veteran offensive line coach who has sent guys to the pros that's really highly respected in the business. Uh, Fuente would not have pulled that off. So I was really impressed by that hire. Uh, I think it's clear that Virginia Tech is going to try to really, really run the ball. Right. You hire Joe Rudolph, you, you hire uh, Tyler Bowen, you hear Brent Pry talk about how he wants his teams to be really physical at the point of attack. 
this points to a Big Ten type offense, but I'm not talking about Iowa where they can't complete a forward pass. We we already saw that with Justin Fuente this past year. We we already know Virginia Tech can't complete a forward pass. I'm talking about an offense that when Tyler Bowen has had the opportunity to call plays, it's worked out really, really well. <laughs> like really good play caller at Fordham at the FCS level. Uh, he was a co-offensive coordinator for a couple of really good Penn State offenses. He's got NFL experience, um, extensive Power Five experience. Maybe maybe that's kind of my my broader takeaway too is that the experience on this staff at the Power Five level far exceeds the level of experience at the Power Five level that Justin Fuente's staff had. Now, whether or not that translate to, translates to wins or not, I don't know. But I think the the starting point, the basis for it is a bit better on paper than we probably would have admitted six years ago when Justin Fuente came to Blacksburg. Uh, defensively, the, the Chris Marv hire is, is interesting. Uh, you know, Pry speaks highly of him. He's a young up and comer. The reason why I think that hire makes sense is because I think that Brent Pry, and, and he mentioned this in the introductory press conference, he's going to have a hand, a heavy hand in his defenses early on. And I, I think that Marv hire was made with the intention of kind of grooming him into being a, a power five defensive coordinator. Uh, but Marv can also recruit. I know Florida state fans were irritated with his recruiting because he lost out on like one five star and he was there two years. I, I don't know what the issue is there, but he lost out on like one five star and Florida state fans all of a sudden said he couldn't recruit. And that, that doesn't seem like that's the industry consensus on, on Marv's ability as a, as a recruiter. Uh, Dwight Gold hire, flying under the radar, strength and conditioning hire from, from Penn State, landing him is huge. Uh, the chief of staff hire, Mike Villagrana from, from Marshall, seems like a really good hire. And it seems like Virginia Tech is dedicating more funds to support staff, which they started to do under Justin Fuente. But it seems like there's just a, a clear plan and point of attack with the staff on paper. Like they're, they're pretty intentional with what they're going to be doing. And, and Brent Price made it known like this entire first week coming out of the dead period here that starts, um, excuse me, a dead period that ends on Friday. You know, the first entire first week of recruiting is going to be in the state of Virginia. And Brent Pry has made it known that the reason why he made some of the hires that he did was because he was looking for guys who could recruit that had people skills and could establish relationships. Because I think Brent Pry acknowledges that, and we all know this, but he acknowledges the fact that the relationships with high school coaches in Virginia you know, those, those weren't what they should have been um, under Justin Fuente. And he knows he needs to repair those relationships in state to recruit. Uh, so that's my high level, high level takeaway. I'm sure I missed stuff that we'll, we'll continue to bring up here, but um, overall pretty solid. They're going to, they're going to recruit Virginia real hard and, and real well and recruit the footprint, which is anywhere within six hours of driving distance. Blacksburg, which I think is a really smart move. That's going to be, be their priority. And uh, Genius. yeah, I think the guys on yeah, and who would have thought of that? Staff, the guys on staff recruit like places that. near you. It makes makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So that's my thought. A lot of P five experience too, which is how can you not like that? All right, Mister LeBlue, you you've been you've been anxiously awaiting here. Second half kickoff underway. This staff feels like one giant question mark. I don't, I don't know if the staff is going to be good. I don't know if the staff is going to be bad. 
Um, like Mike, I am a huge, I am a huge fan of the Joe Rudolph hire. I think that he will instill a culture change within the program. And I think that the bringing someone from one of the most physical offenses in, in the country is certainly an overdue addition. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, Derek Jones, I think he's going to recruit his ass off. I think he'll do a great job in there. I'm not really worried about him. Um, everyone else, though, I just I have no idea. I, I'm, I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach, and um, I'm going to give these guys a chance. Uh, but I'm certainly not going to hype them up um, just because I, I, don't, I don't really see any reason for it. Um, also, my, my new default position is to be skeptical of all strength and conditioning hires until otherwise. Uh, after the Ben Hilgart era, I am, I am now skeptical of all strength and conditioning coaches. So that's just – sorry about your luck there, Dwight. Xavier DB is obviously my favorite hire because I am a huge Xavier DB stan, and I, I absolutely loved watching him play. When I was growing up, he was my favorite player on that era. Um, and I had a little bit of fun with folks on Twitter about that when that hire was announced. Um, I thought it was interesting that Brent Pry gets his own chief of staff. I find that interesting. So um, that's certainly not, not the approach that Justin Fuente would have taken. And I think it's an intriguing approach. So this, this staff has potential. It, it really does. And uh, we'll see if that potential is achieved uh but right now i'm just kind of on the fence i mean i look at it and we did cross the threshold of the bare minimum that being this isn't a bunch of the good old boys guys that were in brett prize wedding guys that he's been around for his entire career who he was bringing up with him that was obviously a big problem with the uh the brad cornelson hire I, but it does I, feel like that for most of these hires, actually. Most of these guys are guys that Pry is comfortable with, and he's worked with them in the past. Now, that's not to say that some of them aren't qualified, but um, most of these hires are guys that Pry has experience with prior. It, it doesn't feel like he, he went outside of his comfort zone on any of these hires. Very rarely, though, in Power 5 college football, unless you're like Nick Saban and you have the power to hire whoever you want, you're going to build a staff with people that you've been around. I think there's a difference, though, between – and like you said, there still are question marks, but there's a difference between hiring people that you've worked with in the past and making Brad Cornelson a Power 5 football play caller when he never even called the plays at Memphis, right? That And that's – yeah, I, I'm – you're not going to get me to defend Brad Cornelson. So <laughs> I would hope not. Yeah. So I, no, I, I get it. So again, staff has potential. There's guys on here that could become very good assistants. Uh, I, I have no idea what to think of Tyler Bowen. I, I, he's, he's never been a consistent play caller before. Um, I don't know what kind of offense we're going to see out of him. Um, Fontel Mines. Coming from ODU, I've I I don't know I I can't I can't really judge him. I'm personally a huge Pearson Prelo fan. I've met him. He's a great guy. I think he'll be a terrific ambassador for the program. I was critical of the Sean Quinn hire when it was made, and I remain critical of it. That one feels 
like a big reach. Um, not sure how Brad Glenn is the best quarterbacks coach you could find, but again, we'll see. I don't know. Had some damn good offenses at Georgia State. True that. Uh, I mean, but we just got done talking about how experience at Memphis does not equate to success at Virginia Tech, and you're telling me that he had good offenses at Georgia State. Yeah, not for multiple years. Not yeah, yeah. I mean, he had more experience at Georgia State than Cornelson had at Memphis coming into Virginia Tech. I think he's a Brad good. Cornelson was, for all intents and purposes, an Illinois State lifer. I, I think, I think that Glenn is one of the better hires on the entire staff. Quite honestly, like I think he's, I, I'd put him behind Rudolph. Keeping Prelo's big, but I don't really count that because he was on the roster already or on the um, staff already. Um, I mean, Glenn's probably the the second or third best hire that that Pry made. I don't know if Pry thinks that, but that's what I think. Who cares what I think, though? <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people that tune into the hokey hangover podcast on a weekly basis but uh looking at the way that they've hired the staff i think there are a lot of these position coaches where experience might not necessarily be there but you can see the recruiting approach right i think there are a lot of coaches on justin Fuente's staff that might have been competent but it was the recruiting approach that ultimately killed them you see tyler bowen extensive experience recruiting in the DMV area, you know, all the way down to the wide receivers coach who they just hired the other day. They need to crush recruiting in the area. Recruiting is going to solve your problems. Any problem that you have on the field, play calling, you can hire a guy, you can fire a guy, you can address those problems quickly. Justin Funday was unwilling to do that, but the recruiting approach overall, the inability to make those connections within the footprint ended up being the downfall of the program. And I think that Brent Pry, right off the bat with a lot of these hires, is trying to nip that in the butt, trying to reestablish Virginia Tech as a player in the area. And, I mean, on paper, it makes sense. I, I'm optimistic about the recruiting. Like, I think uh, Derek Jones is a guy I didn't, I didn't mention in my rant earlier. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with Ricky. I really like the Derek Jones hire. Um, it's probably Rudolph Jones and Glenn for me in, in terms of who I like at the top of the list here with the roster. Um, and and Bowen, Bowen's a bit of an unknown, uh, and Ricky's got a good point. Like, he's a bit of an unknown in terms of the fact that we haven't seen enough of him at the FBS level as, like, a sole play caller. But Also, he just got done with the worst one-year cup of coffee in the NFL that anyone could ever ask for. Yeah, oh, you kinda... can't blame that on him. There's so oh, I know. Players. I'm just oh, saying no. that, like, yeah, it wasn't like he was in, yeah. like, a really good situation. Organization. Yeah, organization. Like, yeah, he got the like, worst possible NFL experience he could have, for sure. As much of a clown as Urban Meyer is and the Jacksonville Jaguars are as a franchise, I think the fact that Tyler Bowen was viewed by someone with the chops at the collegiate level of Urban Meyer as someone that he wanted to bring on to a pro football staff, I think that speaks volumes. I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's more just, and Ricky, t- tell me, tell me if I'm wrong with how I'm interpreting your point, but I, I interpret it as he's just, he's kind of unlucky that that was his NFL experience this year. Like, it's, yeah. Like, a, well, like my, so my point is, is that generally speaking, when guys are in the NFL and they go, they come to the college level, I'm really intrigued by that. Um, I see that as a huge asset. 
I do not see this as much of an asset for Bowen just because he was working with a horrible human being and was in one of the most dysfunctional NFL cultures of the last five years. So the experience that he's going to take away from Jacksonville is not as valuable as your average experience in the NFL. That's and my I, point. And I, and I think his, I think his experience that he's going to draw upon from Penn state and when he was a co-OC there and his, his recruiting ties that he had when he was at Penn state to the DMV. Like, I think that's what he's going to draw from. Cause I would, sure I would certainly not, I would certainly not blame him for the dysfunction in no. Jacksonville. We all know <laughs> whose fault that was. Right. Right. We're not gonna it was, it was the gentleman him. taking private flights to Cincinnati after a game and groping young women at the bar. Hell yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't get on that front, but uh, I, I guess my last point on Bowen though, and when I talked about this not being the old boys club, like, yes, there is a connection there. And like Mike said, I think a big draw from Bowen is that he was like an all-star recruiter in the DMV. That's something that they're trying to focus on. He has the resume that, you know, it's not necessarily a resume of play calling experience. Don't get me wrong, but I think it's a risk worth taking. But I also don't think, you know, if a year or two into this and Bowen is clearly the problem that Brett Pry is going to be afraid to cut ties, but from a, launch point standpoint i i think it's a fine hire i it's it's definitely a question mark you know i think we can all go in saying okay joe rudolph is going to be a good offensive line coach he has an entire he's enough guys that he coached on the offensive line at wisconsin in the nfl to have a starting offensive line half a backup offensive line and then a couple running backs in the backfield as well that he carried along with him yeah jonathan taylor nfl mvp wisconsin it's what they're known for but I think the trajectory of Bowen's career makes it so that he's qualified for this job. Brad Cornelson was flat out unqualified to be the play caller at Virginia Tech. He got the job because he had worked with Justin Puente in the past. He was the best man at Justin Puente's wedding. You know what's interesting? Well, you know what's interesting too is was he actually the best man at Puente's wedding? Uh, he was at least a groomsman. I went back to see. Uh, Justin Fuente's wedding announcement in the newspaper from like 2004. And yes, Brad Cornelson was a groomsman. So I was going to say that like, that's got to be the most boring bachelor party I've ever seen. <laughs> a, lot of, <laughs> lot of, a lot of jet sweeps to the strip club. <laughs> the uh, thing that I took away because Brent Pry talked to the media today. The, the one thing that I took away that I thought was really interesting that I wish more people grabbed onto as, as like reacting from it in the press conference. I thought this was one of the more interesting things he said is that he, there were a lot of people that Pry did not choose to hire at Virginia Tech that he thought would have been good fits at Virginia Tech. And he said that there were a lot of guys that he's coached with that he's very good friends with that wanted to come coach at Virginia Tech that he didn't believe were good fits right? He had to tell his friends no, and he said those were difficult conversations to have. We would have never heard that out of Justin Puente. Like, no. uh, he hired all yeah. his friends, and, and he didn't start, he didn't stop hiring his friends till the end when shit was going way downhill. Unfortunately, only some of those friends were good. Correct. <laughs> that's correct. Vance Vice. Right, no, well, yeah, that's actually where I wanted to go. You know, I, I was pondering earlier today, where do some of these former Fuente guys end up? And I believe, uh, is it Lechtenberg or, or, or one of them? Who was the one that went to uh, Bo Davidson? Bo Davidson. He's at UConn now. 
Talk about the abyss. But where does a guy like Vance Vice end up? I know you can't say like a specific program, but like what tier of college football, given the the resume that he built for himself at Virginia Tech, because quite frankly, Vice, his stock rose during the he is He is absolutely a power five offensive line coach. I, I don't think that that's um, – I don't think that that's up for debate. Uh, um, now, you look at the other guys on that on that – team i i think justin hamilton would certainly be a capable um position coach at the power five level um god i gotta go through these guys in my head now i mean i i don't think jafar williams is deserving of another p5 job yet i he was he was pretty pretty uh dreadful at virginia tech you know who should you know who should get another crack, and I don't know if it if it starts at, at the P five or G five or whatever. But you know who I think should get another crack, Adam Lechtenberg. And the reason why is because he was a solid. He was one of the best recruiters on Justin Fuente's staff, and running backs weren't really the issue this year. It was everything else. I'm gonna go with uh, James Shebist, who was one of oh, my favorite too. assistants, because. Virginia Tech special teams were almost never a problem while he was here. Agree. Um, Tavion Robinson had an issue catching punts for a year, but get the yips. But like, Shebus kickers good. Shebus punters also good. Shebus coverage teams also good. Um, I think the tight end position was uh, criminally underutilized in the offense. But good. But you look at the guys that he got out of there in Dalton Keene and James Mitchell, and you feel like those guys, you know, were those guys left better than they came in. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a huge Sheebus fan, and I I I would actually not that it would be realistic, but I would have loved to for him to find a way to stay in Blacksburg. I think he's certainly a P five um, position coach and is more than deserving to be a special teams coordinator. His special teams were were very good. I agree with that statement generally. You do got to feel bad for some guys. You know, I do. I feel bad for a lot of these guys because they were they were just attached to a sinking ship. And yeah, yeah. no, like Justin Hamilton, Jack Tyler specifically, like you get promoted to like what is like a dream job for you in what is essentially like a lame duck year. You know, you know that if fun, like you said, sinking ship. Well, I don't have much sympathy for either of those guys, to be quite honest. I mean, what are they going to do? I mean, do you think that Justin Hamilton was truly qualified? for the job that he got at no. the time. No, no. I said that at the time. No, you did actually on this very podcast. Yeah. I, I, so and, you're and not going to decline the job they've offered to you. Yeah. But, but I don't think that, I don't think Justin Hamilton's defenses were very good. And Jack Tyler, especially he needs to go learn some things because the linebacker play this year was awful. And as, as awesome as much of a legend in Blacksburg as Jack Tyler is, he's got to learn some things before he's capable of being a position coach at the P5 level. Fair enough. All right, last thing I want to touch on, we're running a little long here, but uh, the quarterback situation, I mean, the question has been answered as to who those guys in the room are going to be. It's Grant Wells from Marshall and Jason Brown, who comes from South Carolina by way of St. Francis of Pennsylvania. I know bigger names like Cam Ward were thrown out there, but obviously that's not the case. What do you think of these two gentlemen and, and who's the leader in the clubhouse heading into spring practice? 
my biggest reaction was that uh, by bringing in Brown and bringing in Wells and having Taj Bullock, you have an opportunity to stack the eligibility a little bit, which is something that Virginia Tech had an issue with. They were a little bit top heavy at the quarterback position. Then when everybody transferred out, they had nobody to really turn to. Um, this is an opportunity for Brent Pry to start the, to build the depth of the quarterback room a little bit because this past year, I, I understand it was lame duck. Uh, it was a mess, right? But um, this was a situation at the quarterback position that was purely unsustainable. I mean, we knew that we knew that Burmeister, if he got hurt, that the season was toast and he didn't miss time, but we knew he wasn't healthy for pretty much the entirety of the football season. And his ceiling probably wasn't all that high anyway, to begin with, you know, even healthy. So I think that bringing in Brown and, and bring in Wells, I think for, and then still having Taj Bullock and I hope Connor Blumrick sticks around, not necessarily to play quarterback, but I think he could be useful. Um, you know, he, he's shown his athletic ability. I, I think if they moved him to like, an, I, again, I don't know what the offense is going to look like quite yet, but if they moved him to like an H-back type role, I think he would he would thrive in that if you put on some weight. Um, so I kind of hope he sticks around, but not to play quarterback. But if, if you look at Brown and Wells and Bullock primarily as the three quarterbacks with Devin Farrell coming in, um, unless he changes positions, you know, you got at least a foundation at quarterback that I think leaves you in, in a much better state than you were in a year ago with just basically Burmeister Blumrick. Not hard to be in a better state than last year. Agree. Agree. Um, but you're in a much better state than last, what you had on the roster last year is my point. That's fair. Before they, even play, before they even play. I mean, before they even play, you just look at it from like a depth, a depth standpoint, I think they're in a better spot. Before we get to, uh, Ricky's take on this. I just want to say congratulations to national champion Quincy Patterson. However, my thoughts on you remain the same. Switch to tight end, go to the NFL. The choice is simple. Connor Blumick made me think about that, but you know, he gets benched there, but obviously the athletic ability is there. He's got the build. If you want to be a pro player, it's not going to be at the quarterback position, buddy. The development ain't going to happen this late. Switch to tight end, go to the NFL. Ricky, your thoughts on the QB room. Well, I'm glad that they got somebody. I was a bit worried there that uh, we were going to go into the early spring recruiting session not knowing who QBX was going to be. Um, we ended up getting two QBXs. Grant Wells is clearly the better of the two options. I don't think that there's any discussion there. Um, he's certainly a, a guy with potential. He's had some, you know, some success at Marshall, and he's also – um, had a, a bit of regression from his first year as a starter going into kind last a, season. Kind of a turnover machine, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, a, a, anytime you go double-digit picks, I'm a little worried. Um, Conference USA. You have yeah. to hope that he can kind of go back towards the 18 touchdowns to nine ratio, which is what he had in his first year as a starter. His completion percentage was up this year at 66%. I'm a big fan of completion percentage. I think it's a big stat. Um, if I had to put like these guys in like a power rankings, right. I would probably put Grant Wells at one Blumrick one. A. No, <laughs> um, don't ever come at me with that blasphemy, Andrew, uh, two is going to be Taj Bullock. Um, I, I really want Taj Bullock to get a chance. I'm, I'm on the Taj train for sure. And then Jason Brown would be three. 
Um, Bro, he got wins over Auburn and uh, Florida. Taj Bullock couldn't well, even Florida see the field sucked, in the game when we so were that doesn't mean, 40. Florida doesn't Florida sucked. So that doesn't mean anything. Um, I mean, like, still an SEC team. Would Florida question, and Auburn have Florida question, and Auburn would have beaten any team that Grant Wells has ever beaten? The question, the question is, the question is, would Taj Bullock put up the same numbers Brown did against those two teams? That, that's that's the discussion we got to have. The I don't answer know. Is probably not. Not the answer is probably not. Probably okay, not but if one of if one of these two guys, if one of these two guys is going to develop, it's not going to be Jason Brown. No, I I I agree. So with Jason Brown got a year of eligibility. So my yeah. my yeah. personal wish is that you would start Wells and Bullock at even reps, and you would let those two guys battle it out. And you know what? If Jason Brown has a fantastic spring and kicks ass in the summer, sure, start him. That's I'm fine with that. But for now, I think Wells should get probably the first crack at the starting job. And I really do think Bullock needs to be given a fair shot here. I think he does. I think he does too. I agree with that statement, but I think it's Brown, Wells, and Bullock. That's what I think. I think it's an order of eligibility. I, I think I, Wells. I, I, Wells so I you would have Jason Brown over Grant Wells? Yes, I would. Track record right now, sure. I would. Yeah, I think I would. I think, I think that. And Track, my, what? The, I mean, like, he played SEC football versus throwing double digit picks in Conference USA. He went, he threw eight touchdowns to six picks. That's not very good. I don't know, but I mean, he completed fifty-five percent of his passes. Again, I'm Grant not, Wells is he a, went two and two as a starter. Like it, it he's not. It's not awful, but it's not otherworldly. I mean, I just think that the fact that you had these two guys come and again, you let them duke them out in camp. I think the fact that you brought in both of these guys lends to the notion which has been pushed all throughout the year that Taj Bullock is nowhere near ready and you know you got you got reporters like Andy Bitter and Mike Nizalik who went to that pinstripe bowl practice who tried to be as kind as they could in their word choice of what Taj Bullock looked like in that practice throwing against like air I am not going to judge a player off of one practice in New York well, I, I'm going to judge him off of a season where you had Knox Kadem. Where he never there. got to play. Okay, yeah. yeah. But why, I, I, why, it, why it, with Justin Fuente's yeah. job on the line and Knox Kadem playing terrible, and you still choose not to play Bullock. Again, the kid had a lot working against him. You're acting team. as if you would expect Brad Cornelson to make a rational decision, and we just got done explaining. That's a fair We just got done explaining how awful and how unqualified he was for the position. Okay. I'm That's enjoying. Fair... I'm 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 enjoying listening to this because usually it's it's me and Rick battling back and forth. I'm, yeah, and no, I I try to just throw fuel into the fire, but <laughs> I, I look. I want Taj Bullock to be the next Michael Vick. He's from like five minutes away from. Okay, well, he's not going to be Michael Vick. He's a bit big for See, that. Now you're a hater. <laughs> <laughs> he's a bit big for that. But he has hashtag tools, and I want to see tools. He did I come just from a pretty good. He did come from a pretty good high school football school. Look, I'm I'm it, fine it if he I'm enters the season as the as quarterback three. I'm okay with that. I want the best guys to play. I, but considering I, considering where this program is and how Virginia Tech is not going to be in a position to compete for the ACC this year, I personally would rather who? give someone who <laughs> says the 
freaking roster. That like, good lord. <laughs> um, his team was god awful this year. So I would rather give the younger guys a chance. I understand. That's just my opinion. And I would I would like to have Jason Brown there as hashtag depth. So that way we're not seeing Knox Kadem play uh or Connor Blumrick for that matter at quarterback. I, I just don't think say, congratulations to Knox Kadem. Uh best of luck to him at uh, McNeese State. Hopefully they can turn around from that uh four and six record they had in the Southland Conference. They're a better program than that, in my opinion. <laughs> Is this, gonna be your new shtick? is this going to be your new shtick? Is this going to be your new shtick? McNeese State is better than the record shows. <laughs> sleeping giant, baby. And with A Cam Ward giant, out of yes, incarnate yes. word, or however you pronounce that word, I got like people. Is it incarnate? Incarnate? I asked a question. I think it's incarnate. Incarnate. I think I said incarnate. And That's at fine. the press conference with Brett Pry, because I brought up Cam Ward, I was like, "Yeah, you're gonna get him." It's like obviously he didn't answer that question directly, but people were like, "It, it was Matt Camary." Actually, I don't know if you guys know Matt Camary. He's a, a Hokey Club guy. He works for the Hokey Club. He texted me. He's like, "Dude, you totally botched the pronunciation of that." I'm like, "Sorry, I didn't go to Liberty University like you, bro. I don't have my religious <laughs> term pronunciation on deck." But it was a fair question. But good for Cam Ward. Going out to Washington State, you get to whip the ball around a little bit. You know, Ryan Willis-style gunslinger. You know, a lot of potential there. Would have that sounds, NFL that sounds boring AF. NFL quarterback Ryan Willis. Going to Pullman. <laughs> what the hell? I've lost many a bet, Pullman. I am, I, am, I am so excited to play at the Power 5 level. Let me go play at Pullman, Washington. You know, Pullman, Washington, they say it's the Blacksburg of the West. I'm not kidding. Apparently, there's a lot of similarities between Washington State and Virginia Tech. I thought you were kidding, but you're not. No, I'm not kidding. I, <laughs> all right, so now what we need to do is we need to have a hooky hangover trip to Pullman to evaluate this statement. Oh, my God. I'm down. I'm down, <laughs> too. I want to go to every Power 5 football stadium, and who knows how long I'm going to live, so we need to start moving. Uh, yeah, I'm not making very much progress on that. <laughs> get, get moving. <laughs> I, I've been to I've been to some of the ACC stadiums, but not not a not your enough. Reporting experience, you probably got a good amount down, right? Well, I've got so obviously Lane. I've got UVA, UNC, Duke, Pitt, um, Heinz Field, a college football. Yeah, gross. Yeah, um, Notre Dame, uh, Miami. Uh, I did not go to Syracuse, and I did not go to BC. Um, I think that's it, actually. Orlando doesn't count because there's no, there's not a, a actual P five team that plays there. So I think I think that it's worth something to say. I've been to a conference championship game, or were you at the bowl game? Uh, both. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I have. I was. So, I was oh, there so for you the, saw the you Chase Muma fake punt live and in person. That's incredible. Yes, yes, and I also got to see uh, Trayvon McMillan whiff on a block. Um, which oh. cost Virginia Tech a legitimate chance at beating Clemson. Yeah, I, I was in the uh, I was in the stands for that one, sitting next to Sean Glennon. Didn't know he was Sean Glennon. Until I like wonder before. if the Fuente era would have been any different if Tech had won that game. Butterfly effect stuff. Probably right? not. But Probably you, but, not. You, but you feel like they would have recruited a little bit better. The thing if is, they, they had did, won they, they, the they ACC recruit, championship. They didn't recruit particularly poorly out the, the gate year. It, it, it was the approach 
that ultimately with Mac Brown coming into North Carolina ends up backfiring and they get pushed to Texas the rest is history. But you wonder if maybe they they get like one or two like of the big targets that they missed on with an actual ACC title. I don't know. Maybe Probably maybe, not, maybe, maybe. I mean losing Gerard is what losing Gerard. Saying that you could Gerard. saying that you beat Davo Sweeney on a neutral field uh would have been a hell of a feather in Justin Fuente's cap. Yeah, but I mean, it was still so much of a feather. Like, hey, this was my first year as the head coach. They were a six and six program the two previous years. And I got them on the verge of beating Deshaun Watson, like in the ACC championship game. We're right there. Don't you want to be national a part of champion? It? Yeah, national my, champion Clemson. Yeah. In my, and again, they ultimately went on to win the national championship that year. In my opinion, I think a big issue with the Fuente era was the early success they had. They were victims of their own success because what they were doing on the field in 2016 and 2017 masked like systematic issues within the program. The fact that not or, only, you know, yeah. individual decisions that the fun day regime was making, but also the fact that Virginia Tech was falling further and further behind their ACC rivals in terms of how much money they were investing into the product. And by the time you figure it out, you know, it's 2019, Justin Puente is flirting with Baylor and it was over at that point, right? But I, I think at that point, it was irredeemable, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah, I, not going to get any argument here. Yeah. Just rehashing all that. Before we finish, I do want to uh, touch on Jaden Blue. Oh, yeah, I like so, him. Do you like so him? So not only does he share part of my last name, which is cool. Jaden Love Blue. Um, True. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the addition. Uh, I do think people should temper their expectations a bit. Um, his thousand yard season was in 2019. Uh, so like everyone keeps calling, Oh, it's a thousand yard receiver. It's a thousand yard receiver. Yeah. He did that three years ago. So take that for what it's worth. Um, I also know that temple was a bit of a disaster for like the last two years. So take that into consideration, but he clearly has the ability to produce. So, uh, getting him in the room will not only add experience, but also maybe add some, some top end talent to a room that's going to need it uh, considering very few guys in that room have any sort of reliable, productive experience at the P five level. At least you have a guy here that has done it before. You have to hope that you can bring it out again. All right. So while Ricky says that he likes things that have parts of his last name in it, I've compiled a a short list of things that you need to get behind. Labot blue, the beer. Hell yeah. Blues clues. Oh, I was I was a huge Blues Clues fan as a kid. Absolutely. That's a, love Blues Clues. The Ben Stiller trademarked Blue Steel face. Hell yeah. I have no idea what the hell that is. The 2019 Stanley Cup champion St. Louis Blues. No, they, they beat the Boston Bruins. Nope. I'm not I'm not nope. a hockey fan, but I also hate Boston sports, so I'm cool with that. No, when I'm, I couldn't no. when I couldn't get a haircut. I like the St. Louis Blues logo. When I couldn't get a haircut at the outset of COVID, I had like an afro. You guys probably remember from Zoom. <laughs> and so I for like four months wore a St. Louis Blues trucker hat to work every single day. It was hilarious. Uh other things, going back to children's uh, shows. How do you, wait, time out how do you own uh, how do how did you acquire that drunk purchase okay <laughs> say no more Continue. Continue. Uh, bear in the big blue house do you guys remember that no no remembers there we go i do not remember and uh, last one i got for you is blue christmas the christmas song by elvis presley i believe it was elvis who sang that 
I'll have a blue Christmas. Yes. yes. Uh, Elvis, I Elvis don't is put good. That part where so, I actually tried to sing the song in the podcast. Um, yeah. Right. So, so, so basically, what, there, what we have there. to do is for every podcast, Andrew is going to have to give us like three to five things that I therefore have to like because blue, che- blue, blue cheese is. Was a, blue cheese was a. Okay. Well, oh, but see, no, time out. Time I had out. like 30 seconds. I blue cheese is spelled B L E U. Doesn't count. Which, which point of order my last name back in like the 1800s was spelled that way oh okay um, so it still counts uh, well, but blue cheese blue cheese is also disgusting uh so Boo. no so yeah okay so ranch ranch is infinitely better than blue oh, I, cheese i, I agree but and it is not it is not up for debate i i agree but I, blue cheese you hate blue cheese yes where does everybody stand on mayo Mayo is delicious. Miracle Whip is awful. I'm fine with mayo. Wouldn't want mayo uh, dumped on me in that quantity that uh, Shane Beamer had to deal with. Would you want the cooler absolutely smashed into your head? No, no, no. that looked really painful. No, he was poor Shane. He he agrees to get mayo dumped on him, and for his troubles, they basically dropped a a twenty pound jar on his head. Yeah, concussion. But I was like (laughs) eighteen. And the ice bucket challenge thing was going around. I didn't really understand like how much ice people were pouring on each other. So I challenged my friend's dad. He's like, you can pour the ice on me. And I gave him a full like Gatorade tub full of straight up ice <laughs> to the point where it was like painful. Not oh my God. Simple. But yeah. So segments we're adding to the show here in 2022. List of blue things that Ricky has to get behind. McNeese State update. How's Knox Kingdom doing? Yes. Maybe, maybe we do an entire spin-off podcast. I don't know how much time you guys have in, in the evening. <laughs> okay. We have re- this is the first episode we've recorded in the entire year of 2022. And you think we can record another podcast of McNeese State football? <laughs> Anything is possible, in my opinion. <laughs> it's like I, I think we might have to pull a Brian Kelly though and try to get some fake Cajun accents. Oh my God! I like I. I, I was actually like kind of a Brian Kelly fan at Notre Dame because I thought he was just a really good coach. Like they were just winning games left and right there. But now, like I cannot root for him in any any way. I hope LSU crashes and burns as long as he's there. It's so so disgusting, so stupid. All right. Well, we should probably wrap this up. I got to go get my girlfriend cookout, but uh, thanks to the folks over at Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts, my guy, uh, Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to. If you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you, be a neighbor, not a mom, be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Final thoughts, gentlemen. Maybe next episode, I'll rant about Virginia Tech idiotic policy regarding the vaccine at indoor games hell yeah um because i the content, I, the content I got everybody needs. i got Welcome some people to tucker carlson tonight <laughs> i like so like uh, we generally try and avoid politics on the podcast because it's not it's not our not our thing but virginia tech athletics is being stupid and i'm i'm not here for it chief rate review subscribe yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Don't listen to that. Virginia Tech Athletic Department still love you. 
keep giving me press passes. Uh, <laughs> Mike, anything from you? Nope. All right, this has been chaotic towards the end, but uh, we'll be back soon. Don't worry. We had a big holiday break again. Oh, wait. Last thing. Michael. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah, Mike's being a dad. <laughs> yes. That's yes. Congratulations, sir. Again. Thank you. Thank you. My uh, wife and I are having a son that's due in July. So. Andrew Alex McDonald. So excited. So Esquire. very excited. Uh, so, yeah. Mike's going to be a dad. Ricky survived COVID. Dangerous. I survived, I don't know, the Bronx. I got to raise uh, a kid, fellas. And really bad. Yeah, you, you went to New York and you were not bugged. That in itself is yes. quite an accomplishment. Yeah, that's, uh, I agree. It's true. It's true. Mayor Eric Adams going to clean that place up. You saw one else. heck of a football game, too. <laughs> Dude, I like... I was so sure that we were going to... And we never previewed the game either. I was so sure that we were going to get crushed going in. I had a cousin who has a pretty like big gambling podcast, you know, people like pay him for his picks and stuff like that. He texted me cause he wanted the confirmation by He's like VT plus three and a half. Right. I'm like, absolutely not. I adjusted the spread to Maryland minus nine <laughs> like, as much like, as they would nope. let me. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, that I, we'll, we'll have to discuss that at length at Fraud, some point this off season. Cause that was, knife. that was probably the worst Virginia tech game I've ever watched. Yeah, Worst Ron, bull Ron loss in ACC history. That yeah. was that, that. That was really hard to watch. Yeah, they're playing with one hand tied behind their back. And also, and also disappointing for J.C. Price, who ends his his co- head coaching career at one and two. I mean, again, you were playing with one arm and yeah. one leg. Yeah, no, 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 no. I I totally get it, but yeah. that was also just depressingly awful. Yeah, tough for the kids who you know put in the time and didn't opt out of the bull again, the Brock Hoffman's, the Luke Tenuta's, you know, the like, and to go out like that, that's tough, but they'll have the UVA game to hang on to. Right. And yes. And that's important. That will, that'll, that'll be forever etched in like the lore of Virginia tech football that, that went against UVA. Yeah. No, JC price is like an untouchable Virginia tech. Legend. Not that he wasn't already from his playing career, but you know, I, I, like I said, the day that we recorded after UVA game, people who are the Virginia Tech diehards will have the picture of J.C. Price smoking the cigar framed in their man caves for years to come. And, and that's pretty cool if you're him, you know, getting to live out that dream. And he gets to remain on the staff. Obviously, a, a great move there. But we should finish the podcast up. Mike McDaniel, Andrew Alex, Ricky LeBlue, we'll be back soon. We have so much ground that we didn't cover in the month that we were gone that we're going to bring it to you fast long off season coming big ideas podcast heading into the stratosphere we appreciate you listening and we know you don't want to miss it thanks for hanging out and thanks for listening to the hokey hangover podcast we'll talk to you soon until then go hokies